morning and turn with me to Judges chapter 19, would you? Judges chapter 19, as you're turning, all the children can be dismissed for children's Bible time. We're in Judges chapter 19 in the Word of God. Judges chapter 19. I'm so thankful to be able to be here this morning and preaching behind this perfectly sized pulpit. And uh, I'm so thankful that Pastor has had a change of heart about the kind of pulpit that he has. This is a medium normal size. The other is just kind of a freak of nature pulpit, you know. I mean, that would make a perfect casket for me. I wouldn't even hardly have to bend my toes to get inside there. So, so um, I'm glad this would not make a good casket. So, Pastor, when I die, um, maybe you could donate that to my ministry. That would be good. I hope you all are doing well. We're having fantastic meetings out and about. We just uh, finished a meeting of camp in North Georgia. Uh, it's beautiful out here, but I'm going to tell you, I've traveled the world over, and I'll say North Georgia is one of the most beautiful places in the country. And uh, we had a camp started. It was started 20 years ago by a friend of mine named Stan, Stan Wood. And um, he started it just because he was burdened for campers and burdened for kids. And um, he, has, he has run that camp for 20 years, and he hasn't charged a dime. And uh, that is a miracle of God. They run eight weeks in the summer. And uh, God's just worked some amazing things out in that camp. And we had 24 kids saved last week, so praise God for that. And uh, the Lord's doing some amazing things. I had a great opportunity on the way out here from the flight to Charlotte to Minneapolis to witness and talk to the Lord, uh, talk about the Lord to a, a Korean flight attendant. And we had a great, great opportunity to talk to her. And she knew the Lord just needed some encouragement. You know, it's always good to talk about Jesus, always. You can never go wrong talking about Jesus. If the person you're talking to is not saved, it'll give you an opportunity to show them from the Bible how they can be saved and tell how you got saved. And if the person you're speaking with is saved, it'll give you a chance to encourage them. And so you pray for Kay that God will work in her heart and encourage her. And uh, she, she told me that she would translate my track John 3.16 into Korean, and I'm very excited about that. The Lord allowed us to write a track a few years ago uh, about John 3.16, and I'm very excited. We're, there are about 15 different languages that it's being translated into right now, so pray with me about that. I want to get it translated into as many languages as possible, and I'm really praying that God will let me translate it and get it translated, and it, it already is translated into the Ukrainian language. I'm praying that God will let me get it to the three to five million refugees on bordering countries and the 40 million Ukrainians that are in uh, Ukraine right now. And oh, we need to be praying for them that God will do a work in their heart. But I'm very, very, very much praying that God will work in that. So you pray with me about that. My family's doing well. I'm sorry they're not here with me, uh, but uh, I just appreciate so much what God is doing in their lives. And I'm glad to be back at Platte Valley. And I know some of you kind of looked at me funny this morning because uh, you don't usually see me this time of year, but uh, here I am whether you like it or not, with my accordion <clears throat> at 7 o'clock in the morning. You know, hey, that's, that's just this what, this what's missing in this world is accordions. So I just want to go on public record and write that wrong that was so very vilely thrown at me this morning. Uh, <laughs> Judges, chapter Judges chapter 19 is where our Bibles are open. Judges chapter 19 in the Word of God. Let's pause and pray and ask the Lord to speak to our hearts this morning. Lord Jesus, we love you. 
We thank you for the privilege that you've given us to open up the Bible. I pray that you'd help me as I preach to preach clearly and powerfully. And I pray that something supernatural would happen in these moments that you give us. Now, I pray if there's anyone here that's not saved, that they would understand the gospel and they would be saved. And I pray, dear Lord Jesus, that if there is anyone here who is saved but slipping into the dregs of sin, I pray that you'd rescue them. And Lord, rescue all of us. Rescue us individually. Rescue our homes. Lord, rescue this city. Rescue this county. Rescue this state. Rescue our country. We're in a whole-scale, grade-A mess, and we need help. And Lord, if you don't help us, we're sunk. So we ask for your help this morning. Clear our minds from the fog of this world. And I pray that anybody here that's thinking wrongly about you and about sin and about eternity, Lord, that you'd help them to, to correct their thinking today. And Lord, that they would, they would put their all in you and trust in you and follow you with everything they have. Help me to do that, I pray, and bless in this moment that you've given us now. I pray that we'd respond rightly to it. In Jesus' precious name, amen. There are many of my friends right in the last month or two and even that are currently right now as we speak visiting and have visited the city of Jerusalem. It's a beautiful city and uh, it's a beautiful city that someday I I plan on going to either in this life or the next. But uh, the city of Jerusalem is quite a remarkable place. It's uh, got some beautiful sights to see. It's got some beautiful, uh, beautiful holy sites to reflect on and remember and recall. The city of Jerusalem is, is uh, a city that is the center of pilgrimages for people from many different faiths. Of course, the Jews claim it as their headquarters, and it is indeed. Uh, the Muslims want to claim it as a holy city so that they can kind of edge out uh, other religions. And the Christians, of course, claim it as theirs. And there are millions of people that go to the city of Jerusalem, a beautiful city. The city of Jerusalem means city of peace. The word shalom is at the end of the name of the city of Jerusalem, city of peace. That part of the world isn't always filled with peace, but uh, it, it, is, it is a city of, of many, many people's object and love. And a great much has happened historically in that city. But it wasn't always a city where people came for pilgrimages. In fact, the story we're about to examine today tells us about something that happened right around the city of Jerusalem that puts a black stain on its history. And I want to ask you this question this morning. Has Sodom invaded your city? Has Sodom invaded your city? Now, if you were a Bible student and care anything about the Bible, it would be very wise for you to compare Genesis 19 with Judges 19. We don't have time to do so this morning, verse by verse, but what happens in Judges 19 is eerily similar to what happened in Genesis 19. In Genesis 19, two angels from the Lord come down to visit Sodom. Lot, at the time, and his family are living in Sodom. When the angels find Lot, he is sitting in the gate of Sodom, which either means he had or he wanted a position of political leadership in that city. He was not there to influence that city toward God. In fact, 
that city had influenced him. That city was not a fairy tale. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That city was an actual city that was on this earth, Sodom and its twin city, Gomorrah. And because of their sin, the Bible speaks of their abundance of idleness, their pride, their fullness of bread. But it doesn't stop there. It speaks about their immorality, their decadence, their wickedness. And because of their wickedness, God completely wiped out the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. He did so with fire and brimstone. In fact, these cities are real close to the Dead Sea, and they have unearthed where Sodom and Gomorrah once were. There at that city and just outside that city, God changed Lot's wife into a pillar of salt. In other words, he crystallized her in a moment in an act of judgment because Sodom and Gomorrah were filled with immorality and wickedness of every kind. In that story in Genesis chapter 19, the Bible says the men of the city surrounded Lot's house and they beat on the door when the angels came in. And they said, bring these men out unto us that we may know them. They weren't wanting a tea party and they weren't wanting to go to Starbucks. They wanted to exact sexual acts upon these men. It was a wicked, wicked moment in history period. And it was because of that sin and the others that I've mentioned that God completely destroyed the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah because of their immorality and their decadence. Well, this, ladies and gentlemen, in Judges 19, is not Sodom and Gomorrah. There have been centuries that have passed since Genesis 19. But in Judges 19, we're talking about the city of Jerusalem. They call it Jebus in this passage. And Sodom invaded this city. I want to ask you a question this morning. Has Sodom invaded your city? And let's look at the answer from the Bible. Now the scripture says in Judges chapter 19, it came to pass in those days when there was no king in Israel that there was a certain Levite sojourning on the side of Mount Ephraim who took to him a concubine out of Bethlehem, Judah. In essence, a wife. And his concubine played the whore against him and went away from him unto her father's house to Bethlehem, Judah and was there four whole months and her husband arose and went after her to speak, to speak friendly unto her and to bring her again, having his servant with him and a couple of asses. And she brought him into her father's house. When the father, when the father of the damsel saw him, he rejoiced to meet him. And his father-in-law, the damsel's father, retained him and he abode with him three days so that he'd eat and drink and lodge there. And it came to pass on the fourth day, when they arose early in the morning, that he rose up to depart, and the damsel's father said unto his son-in-law, Comfort thine heart with a morsel of bread, and afterward go your way. And they sat down, and did eat and drink, both of them together. For the damsel's father had said unto the man, Be content, I pray thee, and tarry all night, and let thine heart be merry. And when the man rose up to depart, his father-in-law urged him, therefore he lodged there again. And he arose early in the morning on the fifth day and to, to depart. And the damsel's father said, Comfort thine heart, I pray thee. And they tarried until the afternoon. And they did eat both of them 
And when the man rose up to depart, he and his concubine and his servant, his father-in-law, the damsel's father, said unto him, Behold, behold now, the day, the, the day draweth toward evening, I pray you, tarry all night. Behold, the day groweth to an end. Lodge here, that thine heart may be merry, and tomorrow get you early on your way, that thou mayest go home. But the man would not tarry that night. But he rose up and departed and came over against Jebus, which is Jerusalem. And there were with him two asses, saddled his concubine also, was with him. And when they were by Jebus, the day was far spent. And the servant and said unto his master, Come, I pray thee, and let us turn in unto this city, into the city of the Jebusites, and lodge in it. And his master said unto him, We will not turn aside hither into the city of a stranger that is not the children of Israel. We will pass over to Gibeah. And he said unto his servant, Come, and let us draw near to one of these places to lodge all night in Gibeah or in Ramah. And they passed on and went their way, and the sun went down upon them and when, they, when they were by Gibeah, which belongeth to Benjamin. And they turned aside thither to go in to lodge to Gibeah in Gibeah. And when they went in, he sat, on, he, he sat him down in a street of the city, for there was no man that took him into his house uh, to lodging. And behold, there came an old man from his work out of the field at even, which was also of Mount Ephraim. And he sojourned in Gibeah. But the men of the place were Benjamites. That means they were of the tribe of Benjamin. Verse number, uh, notice what the Bible says. Verse number uh, 18, verse 17, and when he had lifted up his eyes, he saw a wayfaring man in the street of the city. And the old man said, Whither goest thou, and whence comest thou? And he said unto him, We are passing from Bethlehem, Judah, toward the side of Mount Ephraim. And from thence am I, and I went to Bethlehem, Judah, but I am now going to the house of the Lord, and there is no man that receiveth me to house. In other words, nobody has hospitality around here. Nobody's reached out to let me stay in his house for a night. Yet there is both straw and provender for our asses, and there is bread and wine also for me and for my handmaid, for the young man which is with thy servants. There is no want of anything. And the old man said, Peace be with thee. Howsoever, let all thy wants lie upon me. Only lodge not in the street. So he brought him into his house and gave provender unto the asses. And they washed their feet and did eat and drink. Now, now up to this point, it seems as though things are, are, are looking up. Uh, up to this point in the story, it seems as though not a whole lot really of significance is taking place. Uh, the Levite has a wife, concubine, and she goes and plays the harlot or the whore. So she leaves him and, 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 and does her own thing. And he wants her back, so he goes and woos her back, finds her in the house of her father, uh, of her father, and and uh, he gets her to come back home with him. And and the father-in-law says, "No, stay a little longer." They stay a little longer, and the next day they're getting ready to leave. Stay a little longer. No, 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 no. We we, we want to go. No, no, stay. So they stay a little longer. Finally, the third day, the father-in-law towards the evening says, "It's evening. You've got to stay." He says, "No, we're leaving. That's it. We're leaving." Uh, I'm sure goodbye was hard. Uh, they couldn't just call on the phone or they couldn't just whip out and have FaceTime. It was, it was a little bit more difficult. They, they, they probably didn't have a real good mail system uh, like we do, just exemplary today. But uh, anyway, they didn't have all of that. And so, so, so he, he says, please stay. Nope, they said, we're leaving. 
So they leave. They go real close to, Be- uh, to Jebus, which is Jerusalem, and just a little bit beyond Jerusalem. And they come to a city of, of the Gibeonites, and the, the men of Benjamin dwell there. They sit down at the well. Everything seems to be going good, but no man's going to reach out to them. All of a sudden, an old man sees them and says, hey, well, what are you doing here sitting in the street? He said, well, no man is willing to receive me. Nobody's friendly. This isn't a very friendly town. He said, look, you come to my house. He said, well, wait, we've got straw and provender for the, for the a- animals, and, and uh, we can feed ourselves. He said, you come, and your wants be on me. Looks like everything's looking up. Just going to be one night here, and then they're going to go back over to the side of Mount Ephraim where he's from. And that is when the story takes a very dark turn. Look, please, at verse 22. It says in verse 21, so he brought him into his house and gave provender unto the asses and they washed their feet and did eat and drink. Now, as they were making their hearts merry, behold, the men of the city, certain sons of Belial beset the house round about and beat at the door and spake to the master of the house, the old man saying, bring forth the man that came into thine house that we may know him. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, this is almost a word-for-word quote from what the men of Sodom did when they pounded on Lot's house and demanded the angels be brought out. Now, not far from Jerusalem, you have the men of Israel, Benjamites to be exact, who are completely awash in sexual perversion. Has Sodom invaded your city Has Sodom invaded your town? I'd like to think that a place like Fort Morgan, Colorado, or Brush, or Sterling, or surrounding places have not been invaded by sexual perversion and wickedness, but I've been around too long to know otherwise. And I want you to see what are the characteristics when Sodom has invaded your city. Number one, Sodom has invaded your city when the sons of Belial have surrounded good homes. Sodom has invaded your city when the sons of Belial have surrounded good homes. It looks to me like this old man is a good man. It looks to me like he has some sense about him. It looks to me like he's got some hospitality. It looks to me like he's had good reasoning, as you'll see in just a moment in verse 23. And what do the sons of Belial do? These are sons of the devil. That's a a phrase that describes sons of the devil, wicked men. They surround the, the home of this good man, and they demand that he does things their way. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the sons of Belial, this phrase is found five times in the Bible. It refers to sodomites here in Judges chapter 19 or homosexuals. It refers to Eli's sons. They were Hophni and Phinehas and they were priests but they were very wicked men. In 1 Samuel 2 and verse 12 they were greedy of money and they were whoremongers. They slept with the women that came to offer sacrifices. It speaks of false accusers, sons of Belial, in 1 Kings chapter 2, who gathered, 1 Kings chapter uh, 21, excuse me, that gathered together, uh, that gathered Naboth outside with his family at the, uh, uh, the command of the wicked queen Jezebel, and they falsely accused Naboth so that they could stone Naboth. 
the sons of Belial are described as rebels against God in the prayer of David in 2 Samuel 23, and they are described as completely unreasonable men in 1 Samuel chapter 25. So if a person is a son of Belial, they're not good, they're bad. They're wicked. They've given themselves over to the devil and given themselves over to sexual perversion. And so you know that Sodom has invaded the city when good, when the sons of Belial have surrounded good homes. Now, I don't know if it's just me. Maybe it's just me. But it sure seems today like as a Christian who is a dad and a husband and a father, it sure seems to me like my home is constantly bombarded and surrounded by wicked sons of Belial. You find them in the media, you find them in the news, you find them all over in the city, you find the men that are giving themselves over to sexual perversion. And by the way, just so that we understand what we're talking about, sexual perversion is anything outside of God's boundaries. God has designed the sexual act and that act of intimacy to be between a husband and a wife within the boundaries of marriage. Not before marriage, not after marriage they can philander and swing. No, no, not that. Uh, not, uh, not, not outside the boundaries of marriage, but within the boundaries of marriage. Listen to me. Within the boundaries of marriage, that sexual act is pure, it's good, it's God-honored, it's, it's, it's a blessing, and it's a blast. Outside the boundaries of marriage, it's wicked, it's perverted, and it's under the judgment of God. Hebrews 13 and verse 4, marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. They tell us that monkeypox is something that we need to be concerned about. Do you know what monkeypox is? It's the result of homosexuality. Monkeypox is the judgment of God, as are HIV and AIDS and syphilis and gonorrhea and a lot of other things. You find all of those things the result of the judgment of God. And they haven't got a cure, and they're not going to get a cure. And if they ever do come a cure, there's still going to be more sexually transmitted diseases as a result of sexual perversion. That is anything outside the boundaries of marriage. Now, this is wicked and dark sexual perversion. But these sons of Belial have surrounded a home, a good home. I'll tell you, the, the, the sons of Belial have surrounded it. And parents, you'd better not be naive enough to think that your kids aren't being fed a line through what's on their cell phone. The sons of Belial are feeding your kids a line through what's on the cell phone and through what's on Netflix and through what's on cable television. There is no way I can understand how a Christian would even have Netflix. That is beyond the pale to me. Netflix promotes 13 Reasons Why, which is 13 Reasons Why You Should Commit Suicide. It promotes, promotes all kinds of wickedness and, and, and strife and vileness. How a Christian can support that is beyond the pale. I want to say, ladies and gentlemen, that Sodom has invaded your, your city when, when the sons of Belial have surrounded good homes. In 1994, uh, a man who was the preacher's son just came back from a camping trip, much like it's going to be on Thursday or Friday. And he came back on a, uh, on a Wednesday night or a Sunday night. It was a Sunday night. And as he came back, he noticed that his dad's church, Hamilton Square Baptist Church, was surrounded by the homosexual community. On a Sunday night, do you know what they were doing on that Sunday night in 1994? They were pounding on the doors and screaming, we want your children. 
I want to say that the homosexual community has not changed their strategy or their character since Genesis 19 or Judges 19 or 1994 or today. Dress it up how you want to. Put a wicked rainbow flag on it if you want to. It still has the same wicked desires. And by the way, do you know there's a difference between the homosexual rainbow and God's rainbow? The homosexual rainbow has, has six colors. Do you know what color it's missing? Indigo. The color of redemption. Now I want to say every homosexual on this planet can be saved if they'll come through the blood of Jesus. But they will not be saved if they insist on having their sin and Jesus at the same time. Jesus loves them, but he will not accept their sin and he won't accept yours or mine either. And I want to say that our sin is the problem. Men are in the business of justifying sin. God is in the business of justifying sinners. So number one, Sodom has invaded your city when the sons of Belial have surrounded good homes. Number two, look at what the Bible says in verse 22. They said at the end of the verse, bring forth the man that came into thine house that we may know him. That is, they want to know him in a wicked, perverted, sexual way outside of God's boundary. Number two, you know that Sodom has invaded your city when morals cannot rise above the gutter. You know that Sodom has invaded your city when morals cannot rise above the gutter. Now, I want to say this. I love America. I love this, this land, and I have given my life traveling across this land and preaching the blessed gospel of Jesus Christ to city after city and to place after place. But I am not sure how much longer God will allow America to survive when we put our stamp of approval on immorality. Study your Bible. You will find two sins that were lifted above all the rest that completely invited the judgment of God. You say, what are they? Idolatry and immorality. And cultures have not survived when idolatry and immorality have been chosen instead of the God of the Bible. Uh, ask J.C. Penney how immorality worked out for them. When they began to advertise the homosexuality and that wicked lifestyle, they went down. Ask Kmart how homosexuality and advertising it worked out for them. When they put their stamp of approval on it, they completely, they no longer exist. You'll be hard-pressed to find a Kmart anywhere. Ask any corporation that has put its stamp of approval on homosexuality and they, they, they come immediately under the judgment of God because God judges sin. Side with sin if you want to, side with sexual perversion if you please, but when you do, you're siding against God himself. And a society cannot long survive that puts its stamp of approval on immorality. You know that Sodom has invaded your city when morals cannot rise above the gutter. Hey, I was, I was talking to my brother-in-law who's been traveling with me for the last six months who is an evangelist and he was with me with him in a meeting in New Jersey while his wife was at home and their three precious children he has a four-year-old daughter a two-year-old son and a babe that's about 10 months well she was at the library in Shelby North Carolina Cleveland County she was at the library and her kids were kind of running here and there and looking at books and she's taking care of the baby and she checks out a few books and she grabs a book that's supposed to be about a prince princess and a knight 
she gets in the car, gets her kids in the car, doesn't really see all the details, and her daughter begins to read the book and flip through its pages. But it's not about a princess and a knight. It is about a prince and a knight. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that ought to bother every good, moral, honest, decent adult and young person that is around. And I called the, I called the library. I said, can I ask you a question? I said, what do I do to report grooming and sexual molestation at your library? And they said, grooming and sexual molestation? I said, yes, if an adult with words and pictures grooms a child, what should I do or who do I talk to about that? They said, did that happen at our library? I said, yes. I said, it happened with my four-year-old niece, and I don't appreciate it. And I said, when I get off the phone with you, I'm going to call the police, and I did. And I said, I want to report an act of grooming and sexual molestation that happened at our library. You go to the library right here, and I'll guarantee you, for this Pride Month, they're going to have books like that that are targeting your kids and your grandkids and your nieces and nephews. And there's a word for that, wicked. It is wicked as the devil. It's not right. It's not moral. It's not just. It is wicked. And I asked the police officer, I said, well, what would you do if somebody with words and pictures was grooming a child and preparing them to accept and embrace this kind of lifestyle? Oh, he said, we would have a problem with that. I said, they're doing it in the most egregious way, putting words in print and pictures in print. And I, for one, don't appreciate my niece being groomed and sexually molested like that. Now, young person, listen to me. This lifestyle may have its stamp of approval the world over, but it is wicked and it is wrong. And you know that Sodom has invaded your city when the morals cannot rise above the gutter. Number three, look what the Bible says in Genesis or Judges chapter number 19 and verse number 23. It says, And the man, the master of the house, that would be the old man, went out unto them and said unto them, Nay, my brethren, watch the words, Nay, I pray you, do not so wickedly, seeing that this man has come into mine house, do not this folly, the word folly has the idea of outrage. Verse 24, behold, here is my daughter, a maiden and his concubine, them I will bring, now out, bring out now and humble ye them and do with them what seemeth good unto you, but unto this man do not so vile a thing. Now, these are the Bible's words, these are God's words, and we should take them as such. What does God do? Through this old man, who obviously is a good man that recognizes the difference between good and evil, he calls what these men are doing, he calls it wickedness, he calls it folly, and something vile, that is perversion. You know that Sodom has invaded your city when wickedness, folly, and perversion are the order of the day. When wickedness, folly, and perversion are the order of the day. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I don't think that this lifestyle is a majority. It doesn't matter if it is or not. But even if it isn't, I don't think that this folly is a majority, but they are trying to become the majority. And we would be foolish to think otherwise. It is wickedness. It is folly, that means it's outrage, and it is perversion. And every good, decent human being, an adult, should stand up to it and call it for what it is, wickedness and perversion, and we're not going to go along with it. 
So you know that Sodom has invaded the city when wickedness, folly, and perversion are the order of the day. You said, preacher, what do you mean? All right, in verse 23 and 24, they use these specific words. And I want to talk about this as the homosexual, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender lifestyle that we're all being told in our society now that we have to accept and swallow. And if we don't, we're somehow the bad guy. We don't have to accept and swallow it. We don't have to go along with it. Now, someone comes to me and says, preacher, I don't really appreciate what you're saying. I have family members and children and teenagers that are involved. Well, you should take it personally, and I do understand why you would take it personally. But you shouldn't lash out at those who are speaking the truth when you take it personally. You should lash out against the devil. You should lash out against those that are promoting this evil lifestyle. You should stand against it within your society and within your culture. You should stand against it when politicians come along and tell you that it must be accepted. And if you don't accept it, you're the bad guy. You should stand on it. I want to say that America will not last long like this. She will not last long when we allow and put our approval and put our stamp of approval on it. And Christians, you're culpable when you look the other way. I want to say Christian mama or Christian grandparent, you're culpable involved in this kind of overthrow of America when you, because your grandson or your grandchild or whoever it is that you may love has been considering this lifestyle instead of being an adult and a decent person and an honorable person, stand up and say, no, that's wrong. I love you and I love you enough to tell you what is right and what is wrong. You go along with it. I want to say that you're as culpable as the people that are promoting it. Now, I want to say in this world, there are two types of people. There are predators and there are prey. In other words, there are deceivers and those that are deceived. And the Bible specifically addresses the judgment of God being upon those involved in this kind of sin and others. There, is the, there, are, there are those that claim love is love. Well, I want to say lust is lust. And that's all this is. This is not love. Love is selfless. Love is kind. Love does not think of, other, of, of itself, it thinks of others. Love does not boast itself. You want to understand what love is, you look at 1 Corinthians 13. You want to understand what love is, you look at the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to understand what love is, you look at a godly Christian. But you don't look at perverts to discover and define what love is. Love is love, but lust is lust, and that's all that this is. Uh, do you know I was preaching in Middletown, America, in a tiny town of about 400 in Bussey, Iowa. Bussey, Iowa, just about two months ago. And do you know what they had in their schools? In their public school, Midtown America. You know what they had? A cat food dish. Do you know who for? Children who are identifying as cats. Do you know what else they had? A litter box for them. Now, it would be laughable if it weren't so awful. And I want to say those that are encouraging that lifestyle and putting out the cat food dish and the litter box are part of the problem, not the solution. They are abusers of children. They are predators. And that school board should all resign and the school principal should resign and they should not accommodate that kind of a lifestyle. At what point do we say enough is enough? Do we say enough is enough when somebody says love is love and next pride year, next pride month, they come along and say that we can love animals like we love uh, within the boundaries of marriage. That's coming. At what point do we say enough is enough? Do we say enough is enough when child molestation and pedophilia is, is allowed? That's here. 
Do you know that the American medical journals have said, and a professor at Yale recently said, that pedophilia is a legitimate release? No, it's not. It's wicked. It should be illegal. Those that are involved in it should be put in jail. I want to say something to you. A politician that won't stand up in it against this kind of wickedness isn't worth the powder it would take to blow him up. And any politician that comes along and tries to promote this is wicked. Now, let me just say something. Uh, we would be foolish to think. We would be, let me say something. They, I was in Italy. I told this to your pastor about four years or five years ago when there was a Catholic speaker who had traveled around everywhere in Italy speaking at a different place every night for a year and a half to two speaking against what we're experiencing right now. And I'll tell you, with his illustrations and his PowerPoint and his visuals, he did better than some Baptist preachers I know. He was speaking against it. Do you know what he did? The most powerful part of his whole presentation was when he showed children, about a half a dozen of them, and he said with his red dot pointer, do you see this child, this boy? It's not a boy, it's a girl. Do you see this girl? It's not a girl, it's a boy. And do you know what these child, children had undergone? Something developed in Europe by a doctor, which is now known as chemical castration, a shot that they can pump into a child's abdomen to prevent or slow down puberty so they can have more time to decide what they are, a boy or a girl. That's child abuse. That's wicked. That doctor should be put in jail or worse, and so should everybody that promotes that. But now that's here in America. Now, hear me, it is wicked and it will, it, they say, well, if you don't do it, that child's going to commit suicide. No, you know when that person's going to commit suicide? When they grow up a little bit and they realize because of the abuse of adults and the wrong information of adults, they can't have children. That's when they're going to commit suicide. And we would be foolish to think that the small percentage of this that we think exists in this kind of world will, will remain a small percentage. They say if this persists, 40% of children will begin to think that maybe if they're a boy, they're a girl, or maybe if they're a girl, they're a boy. We would be foolish to think that this is not motivated by the demons of hell. We would be foolish to think that getting angry and staying angry is the solution. Now, I'm for being angry at sin, but there must be something that we can do. We would be foolish to think that we can fight a spiritual battle with carnal means. Let me say that if we're going to win against this, we're going to have to get on our knees and pray. And we're going to have to let our politicians know that we're praying that they will make righteous decisions. And if they don't, that God will either remove them from office or remove them from this earth. We are foolish to think that anything but Jesus is the answer for this wickedness. Has Sodom invaded your city? He has when the sons of Belial surround good homes. Has Sodom invaded your city? He has when, when morality cannot rise above the gutter. He has when wickedness, folly, and perversion are the order of the day. Has, folly invaded, has Sodom invaded your city? Notice what the Bible says in verse 24. This man of the house says, behold, here is my daughter, a maiden. What? How many dads do I have in the room this morning? How many dads of daughters do I have in the room this morning? Is there any dad here that understands that statement? These wicked perverts surrounded your home and they demand that you give your male guests so that they can sodomize them. And he says, no, don't do that to my guest. But here's my daughter. Makes you wonder if this man was, was, was righteous. 
But at least he understood they're serious and they're not going to be satisfied unless they get some satisfaction uh, physically. So he said, behold, here is my daughter, a maiden, and his concubine, this guy's wife. Them I will bring out now and humble ye them and do with them what seemeth good unto you. But unto this man do not so vile a thing. But the men would not hearken to him. So the man took his concubine and brought her forth unto them. And they knew her and abused her all night until the morning. In other words, they raped her all night. Listen to me closely. Sodom has invaded your city when the lady and the virtuehood of womanhood has become just a bartering chip, an object, or a plaything. Sodom has invaded your city when the lady has become just a bartering chip, an object, or a plaything. Hear me. When politicians start using talking points like the children, and we're doing this for the women, and we're doing this for the minority, or we're doing this for the economy, listen to me, you know they're playing you. Not once, but every single time. You know when a politician or somebody in the media is lying? When they open their mouth. And the fact of the matter is, is that these are part of the problem. Listen to me. Hey, hey feminism is supposed to have liberated women, hasn't it? Feminism was hatched in the bosom of hell and in the mind of the devil himself. I want to ask a question. Uh, when feminism says a woman can do everything and be everything a man can, I want to ask where are the feminists and the politicians when baby girls are aborted by the millions? Crickets. Where are the politicians and the feminists when the women in Afghanistan are abused because of the wicked Muslim religion? Crickets. Where are the feminists and the politicians when the women are objectified through pornography? By the way, sir, when you look at pornography on your phone, you're not a bit different than Solomon with his 800 wives. Not a bit. In fact, there's not a bit of difference between a man who's looked at thousands of pictures of different women and Solomon who had a thousand wives. And you know what you're doing? You're objectifying women. You're making them a plaything, a toy. Something that you can use and abuse. Would you like your wife to be that woman? Would you like your daughter to be that woman? Is that the way we work? Would you like your mother to be that woman? Then you shouldn't look at it. And how wicked it is for a man to look at pornography and be okay with pornography. It's straight out of the bosom of hell. I want to ask, where's the politician and the feminist when women are marginalized by transgender perverts in their sports? Where are the feminists and the politicians when the actual, blessed, beautiful, practical role of being a wife and a mother and a good woman is mocked and scorned? Somebody answer me that question. The lady has become just a bartering chip or a plaything by the feminists and the politicians in this country. And the women should have enough sense to rise up and protest. And throw out these dog-faced pony show politicians that want to go along with it. Listen to me. Sodom has invaded your city when reason is no longer an option. Look at verse 25. Look at verse 25 in our text. The Bible says that these men were not interested in reason, but the men would not hearken to him. And I just want to say, I'm tired of talking about it. Tired of talking about it. All we've had for the last 40 years is talk about Roe v. Wade. And if any of the politicians over the last 40 years had any ounce of character, they could have overthrown this scourge on our country. But they're sorry and they're wicked and they're not honorable men. 
I want to say something. That you know that, that when reason is no longer an option, Sodom has invaded your city. The men would not hearken to them. Notice what the Bible says. Verse number 25. So the man, that is the Levite, who should know better, took his concubine and brought her forth unto them. And they knew her and abused her all the night until the morning. And when the day began to spring, they let her go. Then came the woman in the dawning of the day. Verse 26 makes me want to cry. And fell down at the door of the man's house where her Lord was till it was light. And her Lord rose up in the morning and opened the doors of the house and went out to go his way. And behold, the woman, his concubine, was fallen down at the door of the house and her hands were upon the threshold. Number six, and finally, you know that Sodom has invaded your city when a good night's sleep is more important than a rescue operation. And I speak to the Christians right now. There is a solution for this mess. There is a solution, but it's not sleeping all night. I wonder sometimes how we as Christians can actually go to sleep and sleep all night instead of laying awake and praying and crying and begging God for mercy when this kind of scourge is going on just doors away. This man went to bed at night. I hope he had a good night's sleep. I hope he had a sleep number bed. I hope he got all rested because when he woke up just outside his house, they were raping and pillaging his wife. And I want to say to you, there was a sermon I pre heard preached back in 1997 that of all the thousands of sermons I've heard preached and myself have preached had more of an impact on me than any other. And it was a sermon from Judges 19. And the text was, her hands were on the threshold. And the preacher went on to say how many people are just outside the door. They are within reach. We could rescue them with the gospel. We could point them to Jesus Christ. We could help them get to the Savior. But we're too busy sleeping. Too busy sleeping while the world is burning. Oh, how we need a revival of Christians who will say, I'm not going to be involved in, 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 in indulging self any longer. And I'm not going to be involved in this old wicked world. And I'm not going to be okay with it. And I'm going to be involved in the solution. You said, preacher, what is the solution? Well, well you, you need to read the solution. In this passage, what's going to result is verse 27 and verse number 28 and verse 29 and 30, the, the Levite is going to cut his wife up into 12 pieces and send those packages, those bloody parcels, to the 12 tribes of Israel. The tribe in question were the Benjamites. And the 11 tribes are going to send chiefs and they're going to say in the next chapter, you can read it on your spare time, what just happened here. What was this wickedness? And they're going to explain to it. The Levite's going to explain what went on. And all the 11 tribes are going to come down and there's going to be a civil war. They're going to fight. They're going to fight for three days. The first day, 22,000 men are going to die on the side of Israel. The second day, 18,000 men are going to die. The second night they get down and they weep and they pray and they cry out to God. And Phineas the high priest says, oh God, would you intervene? And God says, go out the next day, I'm going to intervene. And on that day, 25,000 Gibeonites or Benjamites die. And then 18,000. So you have thousands, almost 100,000 people dying because of this wickedness. 
and the Benjamites wouldn't get right. They dug in their heels and they said, we're going to do what we want to do and we're not going to let you tell us what to do. I want to say that there are some options. Number one, revival is our options. Christians, we better get right with God and look in the mirror and confess our own sins instead of always pointing our finger and that's easy to do when you watch Fox News all the time. We better get right with God and say we need to get right with God and we need to beg God for mercy. Number two, we need to repent. There needs to be repentance. If you're here today and you're not saved, then you're going to go down with the ship of America. And you're going to go down with all the wickedness. And when you die, if you're not saved and you've not trusted Christ, you're going to split hell wide open. And the only solution for that is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number three, we better start rescuing people around us. Instead of pointing our finger and always pointing out the problem, we better say, these people are in need and they're hurting. At best, they're deceived. At worst, they're a deceiver. But Jesus, the truth, is the answer to the deception of this world. That's our solution. You say, what happens if there's not revival, not repentance, and not, not rescue? I'll tell you, there's only one option. That's ruin. Ruin. What's it going to be today? You see, we started at Jerusalem to show you this beautiful city that's made a pilgrimage by millions of people around the world. But Jerusalem wasn't always a city of peace. They had some dark spots on their history. But you know what makes Jerusalem a city that's a pilgrimage for millions? The cross of Jesus Christ. And you take this cross, sin is what besmirches and ruins a city. The cross of Jesus and Jesus himself is what redeems a city. And he'll redeem your heart today and rescue your soul if you're in need. Would you bow with me in prayer? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Thank you for your attention, your patient attention to the Bible. I wonder with our heads bowed and eyes closed if you'd say, Brother Dwight, I know that I'm saved. I'm sure that I'm on my way to heaven. But you'd say, Preacher, truth be told, God has convicted my heart about sin. You've preached on sin and not just one kind, but every kind. And God has convicted me today about some area of sin in my life. Would you pray that as a Christian, I would confess it and forsake it? If that's you, would you slip up your hand? Just slip it up high. God bless you. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Good. Thank you for these. Who else along with these? Just slip up your hand. Put it right back down. Thank you. God bless you. Anyone else? Question number two. How many of you would say, Brother Dwight, there's someone that God's burdened my heart for. And instead of looking the other way, and hoping somehow the gospel just happens upon them someday. Instead of me condoning their sin or turning a deaf ear to their need, I want to reach them. Would you pray for me that God would help me in the next month to reach out to this particular one that I'm burdened for today? If that's you, would you slip up your hand let me pray with you? Several, thank you, several. God bless you. Many have raised their hand just now. Anybody else, just slip up your hand. Say, preacher, pray for me that I would reach them with the gospel, that I would share what Jesus has done for me and the difference he's made in my life, and that I would share with them the great difference and blessing he can be in their life. Anybody else, just slip up your hand. Say, pray for me. Thank you. Yes, praise the Lord. Question number three, how many of you without hesitation can say, Brother Dwight, there are certain things that I don't know, but there's one thing I do know. If I died now or I died 100 years from now, I'd be safe in the arms of Jesus. I'm not hoping or wishing or trying to get to heaven. I know I'm going because I've been born again and I've accepted his gift of eternal life by faith. Now, if you don't know that, please don't raise your hand. But if you do know that, would you slip your hand up high as a testimony to that fact? Preacher, if I died today, I know that I'd go to heaven. I've been born again. I've been saved. Thank you. You may put your hands down. Now, I saw some who couldn't raise their hand. I want to thank you for being honest. I wonder with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, 
who would say, Brother Dwight, I don't know that I'm saved, but I know that my life is a mess with sin, and I need salvation. I need to be forgiven. I need to be born again. Would you pray for me that today I would receive God's gift of eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ? If that's you with heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking but me, would you just quietly lift your hand? Is there anybody here like that? Thank you. Thank you. Praise the Lord for these. Who else along with these? Just slip up your hand. Put it right back down. All right, now let me say to you, if you just raised your hand and you said, Preacher, I'd like to know for sure I'm going to heaven, you can know. In just a moment, we're going to give an invitation. That means an opportunity for anybody and everyone that would like to come and pray to come and pray. Pastor is right here at the front. And I want to encourage you, if you've just raised your hand, to come as soon as we begin playing a few verses of Only Trust Him. As soon as the pianist gives the chord, in a moment, we're going to stand and sing. And I want to encourage you just to leave your seat and come. Pastor's right here. We'll have a man take if you're a man, a lady if you're a lady, privately. Open a Bible and share with you how simple it is to believe on Jesus and that you can be saved today. I beg of you, please don't leave lost. You came lost. You don't have to leave lost. I beg of you to come to Jesus today. There has never been a sinner in the history of the world that's come to Jesus and been turned away, and you won't be the first. Let's stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, everyone standing. Father, we do pray now as we continue our invitation that Christ would be honored. I pray for those that need to be saved. I saw three or four hands. Help them to come without hesitation and without any feeling of embarrassment to know that they're going to be saved if they'll come to Jesus. Help them today to just step out of the aisle and come and let someone point them to Jesus. I pray for Christians that are burdened by sin. Help them to come and get things right. And many of my brothers and sisters raise their hand burdened for someone they know and love. Help them to come, I pray, and lay that name at the altar. Lord, I pray that we would not be indifferent and we would not be stoned right now. Stone silent and stone still. Help us to respond to you in Jesus' name. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Some of you raised your hand and said you need to be saved. As we sing this first verse, you come right now as we sing. Come every soul, my sin oppressed. There's mercy with... That's right, come on, don't delay. And he will surely give you rest by trusting in his word that's right come on from the back that's right come on from the side God's spoken to your heart the time to solve this is now and the only solution is the Lord Jesus Christ would you come come on don't delay come on to Jesus don't delay he's ready and waiting to receive you he'll save you this morning if you'll come to Jesus he longs to wash your sin away he longs to seal your name in the book of life he longs to close the gates of hell towards you and open the gates of heaven towards you you need to be saved let someone open a Bible and help you to Jesus come on don't delay the pianist is playing God's spoken would you come I want to open the invitation now to several who raised their hand burdened for some loved one or friend. I want you to come to the front. Stand if you need to. Kneel if you want. Sit in the front row, but come and lay that name before the Lord. Now's the time to rescue our loved ones. Now's the time to reach lost souls for Jesus. Now, as we sing this second verse, you come. Yes, Jesus is the truth, the way that leads you into Believe in Him without delay, and you are fully blessed.
trust him only trust him now do you need to be saved you can come i'll meet you i'll meet you halfway friend i'll come right to you if it'll help you to jesus don't be embarrassed by what anyone thinks one second in hell it won't matter what anybody in this room thought about you responding or not responding it'll matter what you did with jesus i plead with you on this third verse you come you hit come there's still time to be saved don't put it off now's the accepted time today's the day of salvation for jesus shed his precious blood rich blessings to bestow plunge now into the crimson flood that washes white as snow only trust him only trust him truly a challenge today and thank you brother Dwight just appreciate the word of God and the truth that it is and uh, you, you know it um, look this invitation hasn't closed if you need to see us after the service be happy to help answer any questions you may have and uh, God help us to be faithful and honorable and obedient to his word and let us just see what God can do when he has a group of committed believers that are all in for him and see what he can do to turn this world upside down and get it back where it needs to be. So we just appreciate the message today. Appreciate all the tender hearts today. Pray that you have a wonderful day. And we'll be back here again tonight, 5 o'clock. Love to see you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We love you. Pray you continue to do a work in the hearts of each one who's here. Guide us, Lord, and direct us, and just stir in the hearts of each one. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.